Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Go Big Orange Friday. It's you guessed it, the Go Big Orange Friday show here on the Chase Thomas podcast <clears throat> with some salt and vinegar chips coming up as I'm getting started here. Ethan Stone is back after weeks away, just prioritizing this other job that he said he's been doing. We don't really know. He could just be binging all the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, all that kind of thing, uh, just trying to pitch uh, Deshaun Bishop to the University of Tennessee, just hanging around the Carnes campus as much as possible to do his work for his beloved university. Ethan, good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head on that last one. I was actively trying to recruit Deshaun Bishop to Tennessee mm-hmm. in, uh, in various ways, shape, or forms. It's actually Ozark, not not Mandalorian. Not okay. O- Ozark, highly recommend it. But Did it well. last weekend, but it is a heavy show to do multiple yeah. hours of. That's a tough show to binge, I found. Oh, where yeah. I was like, man, I, I want to finish this because it's a show that I'm so worried about it being spoiled for me that you kind of just have to do it for that whole weekend and i'm glad there wasn't a bunch of other stuff on that we had outside of the nfl playoffs that uh needed my attention but uh yeah it was it was great i i, I was I, i'm i feel great about it but i'm also like all right let's go ahead and wrap this up i need those final seven episodes to know how this all ends i don't um, know how they're gonna pile it all into into seven more episodes but we'll see i, I haven't been be disappointed yet so also here rocky top insiders ryan shumpert ryan good evening sir how are you Doing well. No, uh, no new TV shows or new seasons of TV shows to to boast today. But uh, doing well. Uh, excited for a, a big time basketball game Saturday night. I've heard it's the Rick Barnes Bowl on Saturday. That's what they're saying. Johnny mm-hmm. Majors Classic back in September, mm-hmm. and again next September, Rick Barnes Rick Barnes Classic here uh, Saturday night. See, that should be a thing. That's just we we overthink some things in sports where it's like we should like as long as Rick Barnes is at Tennessee. We should play Texas every year. That should be a thing. Um, the Johnny Majors Bowl, that should be a yearly thing. Virginia Tech, Bristol every couple of years, that should be a thing. Um, and look, all you need to do is go to Dollywood one night. One night, go to Dollywood. And you will see just as many Virginia Tech fans as you will Tennessee fans. It's it's a lot more than people realize. We're a lot closer than people realize. And it was a it was a great thing, and that should uh, be a thing. So Danny White, noted long-term listener of this very podcast, get it done, sir. We would all very much appreciate that series. And also, you can't use the excuse anymore. None of these schools can of like, oh, we just – the schedule is what it is. No, we found last year you you could schedule a game the week of. We did BYU Coastal Carolina. You can make it happen. This doesn't matter. You can do the Washington series all you want. You could do that next year. There's no reason you couldn't just be like, you know what? The Navy Harbor stuff, that's pretty cool. Let's just do that next year. Uh, Akron, you're out. We're doing this. And uh, that would be great. But um, I don't know. I guess people like to have their ducks in a row and get prepared for it and all that good stuff. But Ryan, you don't strike me as someone who is a binge watcher and is all caught up in all kinds of shows. I feel like you, you're you too you're too busy in like the high school stuff and watching everything. I don't know. Ethan and I like to have a little bit of variety. I'm not sure if you're a variety guy. Well, my variety, my TV watching is about six or seven sitcoms that I have seen no less than three or four times that I just roll through as I do other stuff or, or play video games or whatever. So uh, I've watched some good drama shows, Peaky Blinders, good Game of Thrones, good to the last couple seasons, but 
just hard to keep my attention span. But Ethan's been on me about about Ozark, so and he's not been the only one either. There's been multiple people, so that that's the one that's on my uh, on my radar. If I if I dive back into it, that's that's first first priority. Ozark's one of those shows. It's funny because I uh, it's shot in like Lawrenceville, and all of it's in Georgia. So I'm I'm that annoying person whenever I see something shot by like. I remember in Anchorman 2, they pitched it as uh, New York, right? I watched them in my office downtown, like in the Flatiron building, them do the whole like fight scene all. And it was supposed to be Central Park and it's just downtown Atlanta. And I saw all the fake yellow cabs come in and just days in, just seeing all the actors compiling in and them hiding them and all that kind of stuff. So then we went to the movie. I remember just being like, hey, I watched all that happen. That's not New York. That's downtown Atlanta. They saved some money. That's uh, that's Atlanta. So when I'm watching Ozark, I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's that spot in downtown Lawrenceville. I know that place. That's not Ozark. No, it's not. I know where that is. And then uh, the first Renaissance woman's like, none of that's interesting. That I get that you're excited because you recognize it, but I have no concept for this. So me, I, I'm a big landmark guy, I guess, that I get excited when I'm like, oh, I know that place. Yeah. And then that's the fact that you were you watched that scene be shot mm-hmm. is like, I don't even know how you haven't brought up brought that up in like the two years we've been doing this podcast. That's like that would be one of my first go to fun facts about myself. Me and Ethan, we've had to do a lot of fun facts this week in class. Yeah, we have you? How's we've that had to do going? a lot of fun facts this week. What Sorry, is Ryan, it called, Ryan called illegal. an audible. <laughs> it should be illegal for introductions in class if you have more than thirty people in the class. Illegal, Especially- illegal, illegal. How is that something that we stand for in America in at the University of Tennessee? in the year of our Lord and Savior 2022. I, you're I fired up. It. You're really anti the whole getting to know folks. I, I like it. I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. with you. Um, but that's the cool thing about grad school is there's not as many. There's just small, small classes. Like we're look, we're talking like seven to eight sometimes. That can take 10 minutes tops. So that's something to look forward to if you want to do grad school, folks, is that's not really a possibility because there's not many of them. And uh, yeah, that's the few, the proud. Um what was your fun fact, Ethan? What was your fun fact that you gave the most common, uh, well, most common fun fact you gave? Ryan, I, Ryan, and I were boring in, in our three-hour uh, enterprise enterprise class or whatever that is. I, I, okay. I don't even know what that class is to be honest. But we were boring and we did the same thing. Like I, I cover UT athletics for the Daily Beacon. I cover UT athletics for RTI. So I called an audible and said that I'm engaged. I think that's pretty fun. So okay. He got the biggest applause in the class too. That is so. true. That is that is true. So interesting. Okay. What if it was the opposite uh, for the significant other? She used that as her fun fact, and they were like, "Oh no, girl, girl, what are you doing?" It. I would get it. I'm disgusting. I'm just <laughs> I man, have we even talked since you popped the question? You've been away for winter break. I feel like I've, I've, I've genuinely, I've either been covering games or just the worst timing ever when when mm. these shows come up. Like I, I work like maybe one day a week, and it's always the day that you want to do it and the time you want to do it. <laughs> so. Well, we're here now. Um, it's great, and I'm glad that we're all doing this. A video component. This is our first video show as we move on to that because uh, all my stuff died last week, uh, so my weekend was insane. And Monday was really just a, a whirlwind where I was just taking it to different places and trying to figure out what to do and having to make decisions on the fly because I'm like, I can't just burn a week of podcast. But I have learned uh, when you do something for uh, eight years consistently that like not having that to do you don't realize how frazzled you can get. Like I was just out of it. I was so unwell where I was just like, I got to do this. I feel like I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And uh, school started, obviously. So there was just a lot, uh, 
a lot of chaos on uh, on Monday. But we're here. The mixer's here. The video components here. The desktops here. We're all here. Ryan's in the dungeon. So let's talk some Tennessee basketball. So this past week, um, they laid the hammer down, mostly plabs, laying the hammer down on Saturday against LSU. That was a lot of fun. And then they beat Florida, also a lot of fun on Wednesday. Um, Will, who was on the podcast yesterday, we all love stats by Will, another UT alumni um, and coffee uh, goer with myself. So go check out uh not i don't want to do this i I don't want to start a coffee war in knoxville but uh there is one particular coffee shop remedy coffee that uh we we both like and might go to so if you're a local knoxvillian remedy coffee it's the way to go um all that being said he wrote a really good piece about embracing the mud that uh, is Tennessee basketball, where I think there's two kinds of Tennessee basketball fans at the moment. And I want to get y'all's perspective on this, where it's like the side that is so worried about March Madness because the offense is not right, because it doesn't look like Rick Barnes has solved that. Like everyone was all like all energized. Oh, we're shooting threes now. It's all three, three, three. We're going to figure this out. Drive and kick. And then the offense is like 48th in offensive efficiency per Kim Palm at the moment. But the defense is just a machine and it continues to be a machine. And I think that's just part of what Tennessee basketball is going to be at least for another season. And his point being that like, man, if you're waiting on that other stuff, it's not coming. And if you want to find joy this season and just enjoy what Tennessee basketball is, you're going to have to look at them as just a kind of a ground and pound San Diego state football team where it's, uh, it's not a lot of fun at times and they're going to bring you down to the mud, but they're also going to win a lot of games. And I think by and large, this has been a pretty successful season and what happens in March in the SEC tournament that will play itself out. But I, uh, I don't know. I think there's two competing sides uh, with this. What do you think, Ryan? Well, I think you're right. And I think the truth of it somewhere in the middle and the fact that it is worrisome that offenses with all its changes, everything that's doing different is still so stagnant. Still seems like something when you look uh, towards March Madness that it's you kind of it's a big question it's how do you get how do you get to the sweet 16 with the offense like this how besides just two back-to-back really good shooting nights which Tennessee has done in back-to-back games obviously they've been at home which is a huge impact you're not going to get in March Madness how how do they find a way to win against good teams who can score so I think there is reason to be you know concerned about that uh, upset about that but you're right I mean Tennessee's defense I mean I think it's been a while since we talked about it but it's truly remarkable how good it is considering everybody that they lost last year you lose these ponds who's sec player of the year his junior year herb jones beats them out uh, his senior year but obviously a really one of the best shot blockers in tennessee basketball history fantastic your two star five star wings who were best for what they do on defense james springer keon johnson gone no real true rim rim protector on this team no lockdown defender i guess josiah james would be the one guy you say you feel confident to go shut down a wing if you need it, but you don't have those guys. And Tennessee hasn't taken a step back. And I think that's a huge testament to Rick Barnes. It's a even bigger testament. I think to Mike Schwartz, Tennessee's associate head coach, the, the defense coordinator, uh, what they call them. And you're right. It's, it's, it's a Tennessee team that that defense more times than not, it's going to give them a chance to win. And you look at the two conference games, Tennessee has been blown out in the Kentucky game. Defense was really bad in that game, obviously in the LSU game. If it wasn't for Tennessee throwing those pick six turnovers where LSU just went and shot layups in transition, that would have been a good game on the road. So uh, while Tennessee offense isn't going to be good enough, I think, to go on the road and blow out many teams in the SEC, 
their defense gives them a chance to beat just about anybody. And when you look at it, Tennessee's, while they've been inconsistent this year, they've been in the top 25 the whole entire year. They're still third in the SEC right now. I think you're going to have a great chance to finish in the top four in the SEC for the fourth time in five years. Those are types of things, especially when you're talking about an improving SEC, not the SEC of 10, 15 years ago that had maybe three or four teams make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I still certainly think there's more good things than bad things to say about this basketball team. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, the one thing people could really hang their hat on, I guess, earlier in the season is Tennessee played a really front-loaded schedule, and they played all those games on the road. So they're playing Alabama. They're playing, you know, Alabama's a little fishy right now, but you got Alabama, you've got the LSUs, and then, you know, kind of blank on the other one, Kentucky, you know, they dropped that stinker to Kentucky. Villanova, Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, So you're playing all these really good teams, and sure, they lose five games, but when it comes down to it, they still do not have, like, a bad loss, I guess. And, you know, just a lot of teams are really good in college basketball. A lot of teams are like have that ability to knock you off but as long as you are winning a couple of them and as long as you're stringing some together come the end of the season I feel like you know you can't really press the panic button which is what a lot of Tennessee fans I think did about three weeks ago when Tennessee lost Alabama mind you missing John Fulkerson missing Kennedy Chandler when they drop a stinker to to Kentucky you know 107 to 79 there's a little bit of people just kind of knee-jerk reacting to that I guess and, and saying like okay Rick Barnes is done he's finished fire Rick Barnes stuff like that which in my opinion is just nonsense because you see the trajectory this Tennessee team has been going in the past couple weeks with you know you fill Euros plasmage into the lineup instead of Fulkerson see what he's able to do kind of provide energy off the bench you get Muscovy going on offense really keeping that consistency going you get Zakai especially playing really well in SEC play I think that I saw that he's like nine points per game in SEC play in 23 minutes off the bench, which, you know, really good numbers from a guy that Tennessee fans didn't really expect anything of coming into the season. So I think it's more just waiting and seeing what happens with this recent run, like seeing if, hey, is this going to keep going or is Tennessee just kind of going to have like an Auburn thing of a couple years ago where they start really hitting their shots and then they can be a dangerous team or are they going to do what they did last year and just kind of falter and, and, and not do much do like they were going to do a couple years ago when you know they might have crawled into the tournament if they won the SEC championship but likely not it's it's it's, it's been a while I feel like since this Tennessee team has been like really decent enough to where they can talk about like going on another run like Grant and Admiral could have done or you know something like that but I think it's just a wait and see kind of thing to me to see if the offense eventually figures it out. And as of the past couple of weeks, I think it's starting to trend in that direction. Yeah, I think so. And I think the Texas game will also be another good litmus test, but we've actually kind of breezed through a lot of the big games. Like Tennessee should actually win the majority of the rest of their games on the schedule. If you look at it, it's a pretty appetizing rest of the way for Tennessee. It seems like we're, we're through the worst of it. Um, and then when people talk about the Kentucky game, I don't know, man, if you go back and watch that, no one was beating Kentucky that day, but also just like when the defense was, I really don't think it was that bad. You just watch it. There were so many contested shots that they were just hitting over Tennessee and Tennessee really was until things got uh, away from them. But Ziegler's best thing is his on ball defense. Like he is such a pest. And if you watch him on rotations and just, he's so smart about avoiding bad spots and picks like, cause he's obviously a little 
uh, a shorter guy and he has to be careful with how he's navigating screens and making sure he does everything possible because him uh, putting a hand up is a little bit different than a lot of other folks. So he's just, he's great electric. He's good in the, he's good in full court. He's actually really good next to uh, Kennedy Chandler. And I like that. And it seems like Barnes also has kind of figured out a better rotation. And that's important that he has been open to uh, shaking things up a little bit and just being real with John Fulkerson and um, taking Victor Bailey out of the rotation basically altogether. Like he deserves credit for figuring stuff out and being like, Hey, this, we understand that you're frustrated. This isn't working and we're going to keep tinkering with this thing before games really, really matter um, in the coming months. But I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty okay with where we're at and I'm excited uh, for the Rick Barnes bowl on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, Ryan, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, the Florida game on Wednesday though? That's a good question. I think, it was such an odd game, was it not? And I think Tennessee's ability, one, to respond after the horrible start, or it wasn't even a horrible start, after the first three minutes they played fine, and then they collapsed into a display of basketball that I saw at Heritage, Heritage versus Farragut last Friday night, in which Heritage <laughs> turned it over more times than they scored. But I think Tennessee's you know shooting was good, but I think Tennessee's ability to stick with the defense and and the rebounding, I think, the number one thing that stands out about that game. Tennessee was able to dominate the glass against uh, Florida, granted, without Colin Castleton, but a pretty a pretty strong front line. And to do that, I think, was big. And well, to your point kind of about Barnes and the rotations, uh, I think he's he's handling the, the front court really, really well right now. I, I like whoever you start. You know, Euros moves obviously paid dividends, but you have those four big men. None of them are consistent. He's getting all four of them in the game within the first five minutes. He's trying to figure out early on who's playing well and riding with the hot hand. I think that's really smart. And to go on the same thing, I think it was encouraging from that Florida game. I think Tennessee, at least offensively, to reach its potential, it's that four-guard lineup with Josiah or Jemiah Meshack playing the four spot. I think that's its highest potential. He ran with that for six, seven, eight minutes in the second half. He played it more really than he has. I mean, he hasn't been scared to use it, but it, he certainly hasn't seemed to be his first choice. And now some of that goes with Tennessee's Europe. Plastic wasn't playing great. Huntley Hatfield didn't give him anything. But Fulkerson and Camwa both had nice stretches there in the second half. Fulkerson's obviously later in the game. Barnes said they wouldn't have won without him. So I think that's huge. And is he kind of to your point, Chase? I think he's doing a good job of trying to adapt, trying to trying to figure things out. And when you have the defense as good as it is, it gives you a lot of flexibility to do those things and and still be competitive in games. And I think you saw that uh, on Wednesday against Florida when there were three different stretches between media timeouts where Tennessee didn't score. Now, really it was two and a half because Tennessee got uh, from the under eight timeout to the under four in the second half. John Fulkerson made that and one right as it went into the media timeout. So they got the two points before. But for Tennessee to have its best offensive game, I think of SEC play, while that happens, while you have three stretches where you look like a high school basketball team, uh, I think that says a lot about Rick Barnes and I think it says a lot about this team. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, Ethan, what about you? Yeah, I think it just kind of shows that they've come quite a long way. Like kind of like what I said earlier, it shows they've come a long way from earlier in the season because, you know, just pointing out that Texas Tech game, you have streaks in that game of five minutes, like like Ryan was saying, that you just don't score. And then they ended up coming back to bite them against Texas Tech, against Villanova earlier in the season. They really never got off, you know, out of the gate running, I guess, in that game. But more relevant um, against Florida, you have two separate instances in the first half where you don't score any points. And that's just kind of been a thing with this team this season. But in the second half, instead of just keeping on with that narrative, they like 
you know, actually put the ball in, ba- in the basket. And I think that really works down to the, the lineups, kind of what you said. You got, you know, Justin Powell playing more minutes or Victor Bailey playing more minutes, not both of them at the same time. I like that. I like Jemima Shaq being on the floor for extended minutes with defense in mind. Um, you know, he has to work on the offense, but I think that'll come eventually. I don't, I don't think that's too big of a deal right now. And I do like the four guard lineup kind of that Ryan mentioned. I like just playing to your strengths, I guess, and using that lineup to your advantage in, in that respect. And, you know, everything Ryan That's not something he wants to do, though. It's like yeah, no. <laughs> he has no interest in playing that kind of lineup. No, no, I, I, I think I agree with you. He's always been a kind of big man first defense down low, you know, fight scrap for everything. But when this it comes man down put to in it, John Fulkerson and Plabsich together in the year 2022. <laughs> that man, we know who he is. We, we know what he wants. He wants the big guys in there. He wants a too big lineup. The man wants yeah. it. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. But but just seeing the results, I guess, from that mm-hmm. Florida game, when you get the lineup right, when you're starting to finally figure out, you know, what you can rely on for a solid rotation, and that's playing paying dividends as of late. I mean, you know, you've got the team playing with more energy. You've got guys like borderline having fun again, getting in people's faces. You know, with the Gator Trump at the end of the Florida game, with you know fireworks against LSU against Vanderbilt, Euro standing up for people just kind of a culmination of those different things that no one really saw in the beginning half of the season. And no Will Wade on our televisions for a little bit. So that's nice. Um, I don't, I can't handle it. Like I, I, I cannot handle it. Um, Texas predictions, uh, Ryan, what do you, what do you see happening on Saturday? Give me your, give me your score. Yeah, I think this is a really even game. Ethan and I have talked about it really over the past two weeks a couple of times. That Tennessee and Texas kind of feel like mirror images of each other in opposite conferences. Tennessee has a couple couple more marquee wins uh, than Texas does. Uh, you know, I think it is a real toss-up. If I had to, I had to pick, I, I would give Tennessee maybe, I'll say, a 65-63 win. And, you know, I'll give Tennessee the nod to win a close game. And I think if you go back to this since the Kentucky game, that what stands out the most about Tennessee, they've won three games in a row. They've done a lot of things better than they were doing earlier. I just think the toughness, you know, the you're all led by Euros Plasic, but also Zakai Ziegler. Those guys have, they're not backing down right now. And I think there's, this Tennessee team is going to have an attitude going into Austin. Obviously, it's an emotional day for Rick Barnes, you know, good and bad memories. But I think this team's aware of how things ended for Barnes in Texas. And, you know, even Barnes, who was very, nice about Texas, very complimentary today during his press conference of his time there. Even him, you kind of saw that edge when he talked about how when they when they fired him, they wanted to do a, uh, a retirement press conference and, you know, a big ordeal when he leaves. And he was like, I'm not having any of that. That's not how this thing's going to roll. And you can tell there is still a little bit of ill will towards how things ended for him in Texas. And I, I think this Tennessee team that's playing with an edge right now is going to come out and do so for your coach on Saturday. And I think it's going to be a really good game. And if I had to, had to make a pick, I'd go with the balls. Ethan, what about you? I'll preface it by saying I also think Tennessee's going to win. I just think they're the better team. I haven't been very high on Texas this year to begin with. Um, I thought I, I was doing a little bit of research earlier, and I noticed Texas has played six Quadrant One games, so six games against decent teams, I guess we can say, just for the purposes of what I'm saying. And every one of them has been on the road. And so, you know, they've lost, I think, five games, four of them to those Quad One opponents, and then one of them, can't remember to who, not really relevant, but just them not playing good teams at home. I, th- I think that's a little weird, me personally, because Tennessee is three and five, I believe, in quad one games. They have two wins at home. They've they've won like 10 or 11 straight at home at Thompson Bowling. So I think 
on a neutral court, I think Tennessee wins this. I think at home at Thompson Bowling Arena, Tennessee probably walks away with it just because I don't think Texas is as good as a lot of people think they are. But, you know, when you get them playing in Texas, when you get them kind of finally going home in front of a raucous crowd for a like marquee matchup such as this, you know, Rick Barnes coming home, it's just as much of a event for Texas as as it is for Tennessee, I feel like. So I just think they're going to come out the same way that Ryan said. They're going to want to win that game. Obviously, it's they're fighting for something. It's their one real, I mean, not one real chance, but a good chance to get a very good win that Texas really does not have yet. I think their best win right now is against Oklahoma, which, you know, good win. Porter Moser, good coach. Oklahoma, good team. But when it comes down to it, it wouldn't be what beating Tennessee would be on Saturday, I guess. And, you know, you add the Big 12 SEC challenge into that and, you had, you know, Rick Parnes coming home and, and you know, all, all that sentimental stuff. And just playing at, at home in front of your crowd, I feel like they're really going to come out there and try to win it. But when it comes down to it, I think Tennessee is just the more talented team. So, so I'll I say need, I need Ziegler to hit the horns down in this game. I need that to be the end of this game. Is Ziegler just doing that? A.B. Plavsich, that's also okay. I'm okay with that. Um, and also – we cannot emphasize this enough um, for our Longhorn listeners. Um, the University of Tennessee is the real UT. And it's not like a South Carolina USC type deal where it's not a conversation. Uh, USC is Southern California. There is no, you, when we say USC, we have never once, never once met the University of South Carolina. It's never once happened. Do you know what else has never happened? Shane Beamer beating Josh Heupel as the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. People forget that. And I, and when I say people forget that, it's the people who vote on the Steve Spurrier Award. Uh, those people tend to forget how that game may have gone. Um, and that's as petty as I'll get on all of that. But yeah, I think Tennessee should win this. Um, I don't think it will be like last year, though. The the Kansas beatdown, where I don't think we're going to see that kind of fun, just Big 12 uh, powerhouse getting smacked um, like, like that. But at the very least, I think it'll be fun. Um, let's transition to... A full year of Josh Heupel. He has now done a full calendar year at the University of Tennessee. Um, what do we make of the first full year of the Josh Heupel tenure, Ethan? I'd say it's surprising. That's mm-hmm. that's the best word I can think of. Um, I've got you know some friends in a group set of mine that were actually just talking about it a, little, a few days ago. Like, wow, Josh Heupel really got us to a point where we don't we're not like miserable right now Tennessee mm-hmm. fans aren't miserable right now and and you know with the hire last year everyone on Twitter automatically you know responding to it like I said earlier kind of knee-jerk reaction towards it they hated the hire they 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 said you know Central Florida fans don't like don't like Josh Heupel so why should we and then now you know Tennessee and seven and six big possibility to win a couple games against Purdue against Ole Miss you can even say against Pitt earlier, if you've got Hendon Hooker in the game, you know the entire time. But I don't think I don't think there's a way that Tennessee fans can like complain more than just like a little bit, I guess, for for lack of a better phrase. Because you know Tennessee, despite not having fantastic, you know, um, I guess edge in the portal right now, you know, with you are leaving all that fun stuff that I'm sure we'll get to in a minute they're still pointing in the right direction. I feel like they've still got, you know, Hendon Hooker coming back who I like, we're going to talk about in a minute is kind of a lower tier Heisman candidate. You've got an electric offense coming back with Tillman coming back. And, you know, I guess we'll see where the defense is going to be at probably going to be at least around the same level that it was this past year. But 
Tennessee fans just have a lot to be excited about. And that's, you know, that's a big thing coming from a year removed and now when they really didn't have anything to be excited about. For sure. For sure. Ryan, what do you think? No doubt. And I think when you look at year one, uh, there was definitely a success in what, Tennessee did on the field uh, to figure out the quarterback position that it took a, a game and a half, but to figure it out, to be exciting on offense. Uh, every game, you know, Tennessee had some games where I guess they got blown out, but it was never the quick end of the first quarter, okay, the game's over, which was a common theme against good teams uh, during the Jeremy Pruitt era. And I think what is kind of interesting when you look at it is how flipped it kind of is to the reasons for optimism in past Tennessee rebuilds. Obviously, Butch Jones hit the ground running, recruited really, really well. Pruitt then hit the ground running the same way, but had success in the recruiting trail, hired a really good coaching staff, hired Jim Chaney after that first year. That brought a lot of excitement. What Heupel's done to bring excitement is do more on the field than any first-year Tennessee coach has done since Philip Fulmer. He had the same record that Lane Kiffin did, but I think everyone would agree that he adapted a much, much worse situation and much, much less talent. So for what he did on the field, you know, there, it was it was really, really good. Now, you, you can nitpick that Tennessee was 1-3 and three in really close games this year. Obviously, you would like to go at least 500 in those games. Like Ethan said, if you start Hinden Hooker from the start of the season, that Pittsburgh game maybe goes a different direction. But overall, 7-5 and five and then losing the bowl game 7-6. and six, Every single Tennessee fan in America would have taken that coming into the season. Now, obviously, the recruiting, it hasn't been excellent. You don't know just how much of that the NCAA investigation has to do, just how much of it. I think you can tell how much it had to do with how little momentum Tennessee had when Heupel got here because you look after the season, Tennessee probably added six of their eight highest-ranked recruits were all after the season ended. So you see the reason for optimism. Uh, I think the transfer portal stuff has been a little worrisome, uh, how inactive Tennessee has been. But at the same time, it's far – what Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt have proved to us is it's far more important what you do on the field and Josh Heupel, I think, has done a great job there. Now you have to, if you're going to elevate your program to the next level where every Tennessee fan wants it to be, where you're winning nine games every year, where you're competing for SEC's titles, you have to recruit better. You have to be better in the portal. But what he did on the field, I think that was fantastic, and I think that's the most important thing. And to Ethan's point, I think there's certainly a lot more optimism and a lot more excitement in Knoxville than there was 365 days ago. I think a lot of it, too, it's funny with Heupel because – I think there's some things it's I think about this with NFL coaches a lot where it was like when Dan Quinn lost Kyle Shanahan, that was the beginning of the end is there's like how you hire like Mike McCarthy, ironically enough, can't lose Dan Quinn. He needs him uh, to get back and uh, to keep contending with the Dallas Cowboys in 2022. Heupel's not in that situation. Like I think Heupel showed last year that he, like we just moved on from Hendon Hooker just being a superstar. Like how random that was. We were there. We watched practices. We watched the spring game. We watched him compete with Milton, and we heard all summer that Milton was just winning in practice. Like he was outplaying everybody. He had the arm, and we know how Harbaugh thought of him uh, when he was coming out of high school. And he has all this talent. And then everyone in uh, the the cheap seats in Neyland just calling for Harrison Bailey for the first four to five weeks of the season. Um, I'm going to miss that. I'm, I'm not going to actually, that's not true because it's going to keep happening. Someone is like, I can't wait for this fall. And they they asked me like a, a random person just nudges me. It's like, where's Bailey? Like, I haven't seen him. And it's like, what, what's happening? Where, where is he? And, uh, he is all the way in Las Vegas. Nothing against Harrison Bailey, but, um, yeah, there is just a, a subset of fall nation that, uh, can never quit Harrison Bailey. Um, 
but all that being said, I think Hypo proved even if the recruiting is not Kirby smart levels and we don't get to that point. And if he doesn't get to that point, I think he proved that he can do a lot with a little. And I think that goes a long way because I think that he can just coach like that guy can coach offense. And at the very least, you know, this offense is always going to be fun and he it's at least hired well like it's that nice combination but if we lose pieces on offense if we lose jerry mack somewhere else or we lose um willie martinez somewhere else like i i trust him and especially danny white too i think danny white's done a great job as ad since coming on and i think that is all pretty good reasons for optimism because hooker was a random occurrence like nobody saw this coming we watched him at virginia tech this was a totally different hit and hooker and just what we saw in the first quarter, if he's able to turn that into more um, over the course of a season, it's pretty great. But also, he kicked he kicked Kentucky's ass on defense. He kicked the crap out of South Carolina as a whole. Like the teams that people are talking themselves into in the SEC East outside of Georgia, it's like no, we went toe to toe with Ole Miss, who was maybe the best, second best team in the SEC last year. We could have beaten them. We should have beaten them. Um, you look at just what we did against Georgia early on and taking Alabama to three quarters. He did so much that I think people are going to forget so much with so little. And what concerns me the most about year two is nothing that's related to hypo. It's just the schedule is not great. When you look at the schedule next year, it's so much comes down to that Florida game early on and what we do and taking advantage of year zero for Billy Napier and that weird transition year. Like you have to take advantage of that. Um, and we know how Florida games typically go, but we look at that schedule, like you're going to pit like that toss up game last year, you're going there and Keaton Slovis is at pit. So that's not a must like that's not a guarantee. So when you have Alabama on the schedule and you have Florida that are history, you have LSU on the calendar with Brian Kelly now in the fold, you look at it and you're like, we could actually have the same record that we did this past year. And I think fan- I'm curious to see how Tennessee fans take that because I think we can make progress and I think he could still have a successful year. I'm just concerned. It might not be in the wins department as of yet. I don't think we're quite there to break to nine and three, 10 and two, especially with this schedule. Is that, is that fair, Ryan? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think eight and four would, would be a good, you know, it's one more win, but I think that'd be a good step in the right direction. And you're right. I think a lot of Alabama and Georgia, they feel untouchable right now. And for good reason, I mean, they're untouchable for, 95% of the F, uh, FBS, you know, 95% of power five even. So you're right. And there's a ton of pressure on that Florida game and the LSU game even, which is, you know, going to be really, really challenging at the bare minimum. And if LSU ends up landing Caleb Williams, I think it's a game that you almost chalk in as a loss or a, a big upset if Tennessee were to win. So you're right. It, Tennessee did a good job of those middling SEC programs. You know, they beat them last year. Ole Miss kind of being an exception, which obviously Ole Miss was much better than they usually are last season. So you're right. The climb just gets steeper when you're trying to win more and more games. And I think Tennessee fans are going to see that this year, and it could be a rude awakening. That's where I think Tennessee needs to be better in those close games. Because if Tennessee goes one and three again in close games next year, I think you're right. I think they could be sitting at the same record or even uh, maybe worse. I don't think that's likely, but, you know, it is possible. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, the SEC is probably the hardest conference to take that step like you said earlier because you've got you know we don't need to go over it again we got Alabama we got Georgia we got Ole Miss on the rise we got maybe LSU on the rise who knows um you know Florida's kind of a wild card right now like you said because of Billy Napier but I think I'll kind of echo Ryan's point and say you know this this past season it was Pitt it was Kentucky it was Ole Miss those were the games that people thought I don't know 
you know, maybe they could go in there, you know, shake some stuff up. They went one and two in those games, you know, lose to Pitt. Had a chance, but, you know, that's in the past. Ole Miss closer than closer than it probably should have been because, you know, Ole Miss really good team, obviously, when it comes down to it, but couldn't get it done. So I would like to see if Tennessee not, you know, moving up to the 10-win range, I'd like to see if they could just beat Florida, beat Pitt. That would be nice. You know, that would be a step in the right direction right there because you're going to beat the South Carolinas. You're probably going to beat Kentucky next year, even with Will Levis, you know, playing at the – at the level he is, you're going to be Don't tell the national media that. Don't <laughs> tell the Heisman maker, Spencer Rattler, number two. Get out of here. South no. Carolina, 10 wins. Get out of here. Miss me with this stuff. Oh, my I goodness. Agree. I agree with you 100%. But... Can they give us a competitive game before we crown them as the number yeah. two team in the SEC? Can we, give them, like, can we get that? Chase, they beat a Florida team and an Auburn team with absolutely zero pulse. You, for, yep. you forget about those big wins. You forget about those big home wins against two teams that – had no they probably combined to win one game against FBS teams in the month of November. I am going to Columbia for this game and I am rocking the Tyler Parade jersey and I am going to be the most obnoxious Tennessee fan like imaginable. And I don't care because South Carolina fans, I'm sorry. I appreciate you guys for listening. However, this stuff has to end and I need Hypel to run up the score, especially for the Steve Spurrier Co Award. I I need that to be a thing. I need to step on the Gamecocks next because it's really, really important to me because it is insanity and I can't take it. It's insanity. I can agree with that a hundred percent. Like I don't have many, like very, very pro Tennessee opinions right now. Okay. One, one of them is that Hypo absolutely should have won that word outright. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a competition. I mean, the and literal situation is going head to head with well Muschamp, <laughs> the recruiting God, um, and that horrible situation, everyone cites the quarterback stuff. And I'm like, okay, do we need to go back through what Hypel's quarterback room was looking like? Or are we, no, you, we could play this game all day and you're still going to end up with Josh Hypel being the clear favorite. But in defense, the one thing I, Shane Beamer is likable. That's something that helps. He's a great press conference guy. He's extremely likable. And also he's doing, he's taking the big swings. Hypel is not taking these big swings. He's okay hitting singles to right. Like he is going after Isaiah Nayers and obviously that didn't work out, but like he is going after the, the less than, I mean, he surprised some stuff with the Tiff County kid on the recruiting trail and stuff like that. But by and large, he is taking the smaller swings right now and just doing a lot with a little and South Carolina's like, what if we just brought in the Oklahoma guys? Um, so we'll see what ultimately happens, but I'm still going to go ahead and say uh, the hype train is doing okay when it comes to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, guys, Tennessee baseball right around the corner. Very excited for that to be back in my life. Um, just I'm so excited to sit at a game uh, in a few weeks. Missed it, and we get a full normal season again. Um, so that will be awesome. All that being said, what's not awesome is pitchers are going down, and the season has not started yet. We got the transfer from Mizzou already going down, and now we've got maybe the best arm going into next year with the coolest name. It's hard to beat this name, Blade Tridwell, but... It looks like he may have avoided catastrophe based on the reporting that he doesn't need surgery. Ryan, you're, I, I'm assuming you're more familiar on this front. What is what is the status of Treadwell, and should we expect him to be able to go at all this year? Yeah, that's kind of the big thing that I feel like I get different answers on, uh, whether he's going to be back at some point this year. There's certainly optimism that he could be, and it's it's kind of been a a tenet, or a, a strange kind of scary is maybe not the right word but it 
Tidwell went after the season, played with Team USA in some inter-squad scrimmages. The college team, I think there was like 30, 40 college kids, sophomores and freshmen on it. He was on that team. He got shut down during that season. Then in the fall, he never really got back up to full speed and now is getting shut down here with the shoulder shoulder stiffness here before the season starts. So it seems like it's been six months ever since the season ended of what's going on with Blade Tidwell, what's going on with his injury, what's his availability like. So I think that's what kind of makes it strange and makes it hard to, to give a definitive answer on it is it's just kind of been an ongoing process and an ongoing injury as he tries to work back from you wonder obviously he threw a lot of innings for Tennessee last year I think the second most behind Chad Dallas that's a big jump in workload from a high schooler who COVID you know probably disrupted a couple of his last seasons in high school uh, to a freshman year in college so uh, it's going to be interesting to see certainly a major blow for Tennessee a guy that's going to be their Friday night starter but at the same time Tennessee lost their Friday night starter two weeks into the season last year they were okay if there's, a, if there's a, one man on this campus who I trust, you, you think I'm going to say Tony Vitello, it's Frank Anderson, Tennessee's pitching coach. I mean, he is the absolute best in the business, and I think Tennessee has really good depth at that spot, so I think they're going to be fine. It's not like it's going to be two catastrophic losses, but at the same time, I do think it, it really hurts the ceiling of this team because Blade Sidwell is a guy that, uh, unlike most guys who have to play three seasons in college to be eligible for the MLB draft, he'll be eligible uh, this next uh, summer if it wasn't for the injury stuff he would be a no doubt first round guy so a lot of talent there and certainly a, a big blow if Tennessee doesn't have him all season they're certainly not going to have him for some time uh, at the very least we should get uh, Kamar Rocker uh, with the situation in New York he should come back and play for the Tennessee Volunteers next year that should be our substitute uh, for Blade going down that that's my pitch uh, I, I saw <laughs> where in a Tim Corbin press conference this week I guess he was asked about what Rocker's going to do this year and he's bouncing back and forth from training in Knoxville and Los Angeles and I could not figure out what why he would be in Knoxville you know obviously his dad used yeah. to be defensive line coach at Tennessee but that's not the case anymore but yeah maybe uh maybe Van- <laughs> Vanderbilt series rolls around Kumar just just comes strutting out in that that orange uh, that would be that'd so be, much fun that'd be the best deal turn I like you know pro wrestling background here like we just is that kumar rockers music is that, yeah let's do it i'm here for it ethan what do you think are we going to be okay with the starting rotation are you how concerned are you about it man josh is the baseball guy always has been but from what i know you know missing halverson i know already you know the mizzou transfer like you were talking about earlier him going down i'm I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know much about his injury. How, how long he's going to be out when you guys not as out. bad. I know that he okay. it shouldn't be a season ender based on but what it seems like. I guess the thing that hurts is potential, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have Blake. You don't have your ace going into the season. You're you're missing that much production. And like Ryan said, it probably won't be that big of a deal. I trust Frank Anderson. I trust Tony Vitello when it comes down to it. I feel like he's, you know, the guy at the moment that would be able to build a team that, you know, can get past that at least for the first couple months if that's what it's going to be if that's what you know is prescribed for Tidwell right now we just don't really know like Brian said but I mean I'll just I'll just echo what he said just kind of as a last statement just I mean Tony Vitello is going to figure it out I feel like you got you got I don't know yeah yeah and I would say before before the injuries there were four pitchers on this Tennessee team that I felt were legitimate weekend good weekend quality starters being Blade Tidwell Chase Burns the true freshman from Beach who is going to be absolutely electric Cannot wait to watch him. Chase Dillander, uh, transferred from Georgia Southern, and then Camden Sewell. And I thought when you had those four guys, I thought that worked out great. I thought the first three 
would have been my pick in the weekend rotation. I thought Tennessee was going to be able to use Camden Sewell similar to how to use Sean Hunley last year, where he's a guy in the bullpen that can throw a lot of innings for you and be really reliable, a guy that pounds the strike zone. When you lose that guy, when you lose one of those guys, obviously the one with the highest ceiling, uh, at least this this year going in, I think burn ceiling is super super high as well uh, when it gets to the next level. But having those that fourth guy to be a guy that's really reliable in the bullpen, I mean in college baseball that's such a huge tool. We saw how Arkansas used Kevin Copps last year basically to will them single handedly to a, to a one seed. Maybe not single handedly, but. Oh. No, he single-handedly stopped Tennessee. That happened. That yeah. was not fun. Uh, I mean, his his elbow had to be made of elastic with how many innings he pitched last year. I mean, Sean Hunley threw unbelievable amount of innings out of the bullpen. You know, one of the most, I think, a Tennessee player out of the bullpen had thrown in like over a decade. <laughs> and Kevin Cobb still threw so many more innings than Sean Hunley. I mean, he's such a weird, like, person. And then the rivalry, I guess we're it's going to keep up but and then for them to go down the way they did against nc state and everything i don't know what a weird year for arkansas but i hope that's a rivalry i hope we we still have some animosity between uh van horn and uh patello that'd be cool we can play each other this year that's the Do we not i haven't even no. looked at the schedule oh that's yeah. weird yeah because there's three sec teams you don't play mm-hmm. every single year and it's always sec west teams and yeah that is uh that's one tennessee doesn't get this year lame um, but we do get uh, Georgia Southern, so we get those uniforms back in our lives. Those awesome, gigantic uh, outline of the state of Georgia with a weird star in the Statesboro location. So that should be that should be great. I'm excited about that, and we're just going to be the absolute sickos watching Tennessee Georgia Southern on the ESPN Plus 19 app. So that'll be fun. Um, Ryan, Ethan, what can uh, we look out from you guys on Twitter? Uh, on Rocky Top Insider, the UTK Daily Beacon, your Enterprise class. What uh, what can the good folks check out? Well, our Enterprise class, I got in a little bit of trouble for talking oh. to Ethan, for talking to Ethan during fun fact time. <laughs> oh, do you know what you got to do? Here's what you do. You throw this out and you're like, hey, it's not my fault. We're on a podcast together. I am practicing. Um, the podcast is actually school related. Um, this is part of the deal. And the guy we're on the podcast with is also here somewhere on campus. Just go find him. He'll confirm. I'll be like your, uh, your chaperone to be like, no, they're fine. They can, they can talk. I need them prepped and ready to go for the pod. Yeah, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at rshump00, R-S-C-H-U-M-P-0-0. couple things to get you ready for Texas uh, I wrote about today. One, just looking at Santiago Vescovi, how good he's been this year, and specifically from three-point line. He's on track to end the regular season with the fifth most threes made in Tennessee history. And he'd be like two or three away from getting the number four spot. So he's been fantastic. He has the most threes in the first eight SEC games since anyone since Chris Lofton and only Chris Lofton only did it one time in his Tennessee career so it's just remarkable at the level Vescovy's playing at right now and kind of took a look at the numbers there and then eight facts about uh, Rick Barnes tenure at Texas that I thought were interesting some of them I'm sure people have heard before one that I found really interesting he had I think it was in his 17 years 10 9 or 10 top 25 Ken Palm offenses uh, more than he had on the defensive end. Obviously, defense has kind of been the identity of Tennessee's program since he got there, besides the one Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield year. But thought that was interesting and a couple other uh, interesting factoids from his uh, time in Austin. There you go. Did you know he coached Kevin Durant? Uh, Ethan, what about you? I didn't know he coached Kevin. He did. did. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll have uh, we'll have coverage of Texas as well tomorrow. It's it's my fiance's birthday. I'll plug that for okay. tomorrow. So, so I'm 
gonna be a little uh, punter a lot like the whole hey look at me guys i'm engaged in your class you're posting on the podcast you're really really laying this on okay i just want to make sure you guys know i'm (laughs) i'm gonna get the band and just start waving it oh my goodness no but obviously we got coverage of that coming we got me and josh will have the notebook three takeaways and then uh gamer from that game and then Know, just moving on in, into the season we'll have coverage from the lady balls from utk dailybeacon.com if you want to find me on twitter ethan stone 23 for the late not late the very great devin hester <laughs> he's very much alive <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah that's that's all we got on my end the only devin hester i acknowledge is the number 17 atlanta falcons devin hester that's the true number for mr devin hester yeah, he's, um, he's very much alive needs to be a a uh Hall of Famer, just first ballot in my opinion. But... There you go. Way to get it back. You just killed the guy, but you brought him back to the Hall of Famer. He's, he's back. He's alive. He's he's the reason I like sports, so hopefully he's not dead. But Okay. Wow. There you go. Just two, like, this is the Ethan experience as we wrap up here. I'm not uh, really good at talking if you, if, if you can wheel that together. So. Ethan, Ryan, thank you as always, guys. This was great. Video component makes it more fun, I think. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Perfect. Yeah. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.